we are in a uh, series called Identity Crisis, and what we're talking about is the idea that um, we all have an identity, and we all have a, a, a ways to wonder, are we successful? Who am I? Why am I here? Uh, um, what, what am I worth? What's my value? Um, you know, in church, we talk a lot about um, being created in God's image. And sorry, I'm just adjusting one of my uh, Wi-Fi accounts here. Um, we talk about, uh, you know, why am I here? We're created in God's image. And so uh, what does that even mean? What does it mean to be created in God's image? And so we've been talking about the fact that we're, um, our identity our, who we are is rooted in what Christ has done for us. And so we talked about, last week we talked about what does success look like. And uh, we talked about the fact that success is uh, measured in obedience, not in abundance. And we tend to think of it as, uh, uh, as being abundance. How much did I get? What, how much do I make? How successful am I? And in fact, it's, it's measured in obedience. What is God asking us to do? Well, this morning, we're going to talk about something a little different. Uh, We sang a song this morning, said, you could have it all, Lord. And uh, I don't know about you, but as I was singing that, I was going through my mind, uh, going, well, what do I mean by all? (laughs) What do I mean by all? And as we talked about last week about obedience, man, what if God asked me to do something that I'm not ready to do. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a man uh, that Jesus called, and we're going to see his, in a seminary, you would call it um, his call story. And, uh, and um, uh, we're going to discuss what, what that looks like and how it applies to us. Jonathan, could you do me a favor, bud? Can you get this thing to work? Thank you very much. Um, I have it on my phone, but I can't read. Okay. Um, and so uh, when I was 10 years old, I played Little League. And uh, my parents made me have this friend. His name was Craig Penn. And he, uh, he, had, he had disability. And he couldn't run very fast. And his nose was always running. And uh, we, at age 10, which is how old I was, I didn't have a way to process that. Little kids don't have a way to process those things. And so I, I, I just didn't want to be around Craig. I, I didn't want to be around him. He made me uncomfortable because I'm little and I don't know any different. And so we'd go over to his house and I'd do my best to try to strike up conversations and stuff like that. And one year, I was playing Little League and when the Little League team came together, Craig was on my team. And I knew that he wasn't uh, going to be good at baseball, okay? And so I, I felt bad, but I also was like, man, I want to win. And so one day, at the end of the season, I'm on second base, okay? And um, it's two outs. And Craig Penn gets up to bat. And in my mind, I'm like, we lost this game. There's no way. I've watched Craig Penn strike out every single time at bat. Every time. Without fail. And in Little League, you can't just sit a player down and not let them play. You have to let them play. Okay? And so I'm on second base and I'm waiting around and uh, going, okay, well, we, we lost the game. And sure enough, 
strike one. I mean, if the pitcher could throw strikes, Craig Penn was out every single time. Strike one. And I'm just like, this is it. This is it. Strike two. I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. We're done. Next pitch comes down. Craig Penn, I don't remember if he closed his eyes or not. Usually didn't make too much of a difference. Ropes this ball over the fence. I come running around. I don't know that, it's, that he's hit a home run yet because I'm just like, what? He actually hit the ball. The, my coach is going like this to me and I'm running around and I go in and I step on home plate. I'm the tying run and I turn around and Craig is running as fast as his legs can take him, which is not very fast. And his, he's pumping his arms and he's got this grin on his face. This huge grin. And we all were in at home plate as Craig Penn ran home and scored the winning run. It is one of the best memories literally of my life. I will never forget Craig Penn. I'll never forget what he did that day. Now, for some of you, you might identify with him. You might identify that your life or seasons of your life, you didn't feel like you fit in. You didn't feel like you belonged. That maybe as you're on the team, those around you don't want you on the team. And you know that. If you've ever been on a playground as they're picking teams and you were the one picked last, you know what that feeling feels like. And so... Maybe that's you. Maybe you're someone who wants to be on the team that always wins like I was. Well, we're going to look at a guy this morning that Jesus called that was so unlikely to be called. He didn't fit in. Uh, people didn't like him. He didn't, he, he, uh, as a matter of fact, they not only didn't like him, they hated him. And so we're going to read his story. His name is Matthew. He wrote one of the books of the Bible. You're going to have to take it over from here. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, there we go. Now, so what's happening is Jesus has been doing some miracles. He's been um, uh, uh, going back and forth. They're in this town called Capernaum. And Jesus is like a rock star right now in, in this particular thing. He's like, he's like killing it. And, uh, and so, but he's still calling his disciples. And so it says that as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Tax collectors, it worked like this. Caesar needed to raise money, okay? And so he would do taxes. Just like you and I pay taxes, they would pay taxes. And uh, what they would do is they'd hire a local person, a Jew. And the, the way they'd hire them is that Jew would pay, whoever paid the top dollar for that tax collector's booth got the job. And it's kind of like, um, like a franchise. They would get this franchise of, of collecting taxes. And they had to collect a certain amount. And when they, were, uh, uh, when they got that amount, anything left over was theirs. And so uh, Matthew, who would, whose booth would have been around Capernaum, would have been taxing people as they entered and left. And he'd tax them on, if, if they were fishermen and they hauled in some fish, he'd tax them on that. They were hated. Not only were they hated, they were also unclean because they hung out with Gentiles. And, and, and so that made them unclean. And they worked on the Sabbath. 
because they were tax collectors. And that's what they did. And Matthew was sitting at a tax collector's booth. Go ahead, you can do the next one. Jesus comes up to him and he says this, follow me. Follow me. Now, for Matthew, this meant an incredible risk because he can't leave that tax collector's booth. This is his livelihood. Like to follow Jesus would mean to head out and to not know if you're going to be able to come back and get your tax collector's booth again. You're done. This is it. Follow me. Let me ask you a question. You are the man. Ah, it's like a Christmas time. It's so important for me to be able to see the next slide, right? So this is just a little under the belly. Uh, I can see what my next slide is. John, thank you. We appreciate it. What a great guy. So he says, follow me. This is a huge risk for this guy. And furthermore, if you're the disciples, you're going, no way. I do not want that dude on my team. That is not a winning formula. We're going to be despised. Everything's going so good, Jesus. You're, you're a rock star. You're healing things. People are, are coming from all around. You're getting a name for yourself. You know, we're starting to feel pretty good about ourselves. And you, you pick Matthew, the tax collector. Now, what happens next is so amazing. And if we could wrap our head around it, And if we could see it during the week in our own lives, I can promise you, your life will be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth, wealthy, hated, but he's got his tax collector friends. They're doing really well. And Matthew got up. He got up up. He could have sat there. He could have said, no, thank you, Jesus. I'll catch you later. (laughs) Maybe in a couple years, he got up. I don't know how this is going to apply to your life this week, but I can almost guarantee you this week, there's going to come a time that you'll be sitting there minding your own business. And Jesus will say something to the effect of, I want you to go talk to that person. I want you to call that person and forgive them. And your first responsibility is to get up. To cease what you're doing and get up. It might be something Jesus asked you to give up. And in order to give up, you got to get up. It might be something he's asking you to begin doing. Where he says, if you're going to be a follower of me, if you're going to take this relationship with me further, you need to get up. Maybe, this, maybe it's in the morning. We're all busy. We all work. And God's saying, you need to spend time just you and I. And that alarm goes off. And he says, get up. <laughs> and you need to get up. I was praying to the Lord this week. And uh, like I said, I was at this pastor's convention, and um, it's weird to hang around people who get paid to make you feel guilty. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm with these other pastors, and, uh, and they're actually really good friends of mine, and we were talking, and, and, and we were just kind of sharing about like, 
Man, don't you want to hunger for God more? Like, don't you want to hunger for him? And, you know, it's weird to hear pastors saying that because it's like, uh, and today's just not tech day, is it? Yeah, see that? This is why Jesus spoke during that time of the history, because there's no technology. Nobody's cell phones going off, nothing there. There's not a Facebook Live. You guys should be in church, by the way. Uh, <laughs> right? So, so uh, we're talking about, like, how do, you, how do you hunger more for God? And so uh, I was, I was uh, in my prayer time, and I, I said, God, I, I want to hunger for you. How do I hunger for you? And he said, I told Lisa this too, because Lisa was like, ooh, is that really what he said? I said, how do I hunger for you? And he said, you stop snacking. Like stop trying to get meaning out of life outside of me. Like there are some things that you're doing that might not be wrong, but you're snacking. If you want to hunger for me, as you enter into situations, go with me in tow. And Matthew does this. He gets up. Do you know the power, how much power there is in just getting up? To just stand and to go, okay, my life's going to change today. Because Jesus has called us all to follow him. That's the first thing he does. He gets up. And that might be your first thing. Maybe some of you... You've been listening to me talk about Jesus. You've been listening to me talk about the Bible, and you're, you're, you're just there. You don't know. You're not quite there. There's going to come a time in your life when Jesus is going to say, hey, it's time. You're going to follow me, and your first thing is going to be to get up. Maybe it's to get up and get on your knees. Begin to invite him into your life as Lord. But he does something even more radical than just getting up. It says he got up and he followed him. Now, I read the Bible differently than most people. Uh, I, <clears throat> I, I read into it. Not, not, I don't preach out of reading into it, but I just let my mind go. And I'm thinking to myself, what did he do with all the money? <laughs> like, did he like, stuff it all in a bag and then he started following Jesus? Did he leave it there? What did he do with this booth? Is it just like, you know, did he, like, do you close, like, it, was it like, Lu, you know, Lucy, like, advice, five cents, and, you know, she, like, closes it up? Like, like, like what happened? And what I love about the Bible is when it's silent, because we don't know. But we do know this, he got up, and he followed him. He obeyed. He did what Jesus was calling him to do. Put this all together. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew was asked onto the team of somebody who he had no business being on that team. Matthew was like my friend Craig. There's just no way Matthew can win. And then the very next verse that we see is, if you were reading this in the first century, you'd be like, wait, what? It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. This is the very next verse. Like, we were like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Jesus says, follow me. Matthew gets up, and he follows him, and now they're having dinner at Matthew's house. This is exactly what it's like to follow Jesus. All of a sudden, you get up, and you follow him, and now you're having dinner with him. Now, this would be so, I can't tell you how uncomfortable this would be for the disciples. Because, and church, let me just talk to you Christians. 
because uh, I, love, I love talking to Christians. For the longest time, the church has become a place that keeps them out, whoever those are, those who are unclean. And I believe a time is coming and has now come that the church is going to radically need to shift. I don't think church is going to be the same the way it's always been. I think God is doing a new thing. And so as we read this with Matthew's, uh, Matthew's story, we see these disciples who are fidgeting. Watch what happens. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. His disciples would have spent their whole life avoiding these people. They're unclean. They would have been taught from a very young age. You stay away from those tax collectors and those sinners. You're better than that. You're a Jew. You just stick with God and you do what the Pharisees tell you to do and God will be happy with you. As long as you remain sinless, God will be happy with you. God is upset with these people. And Jesus comes through and he just breaks that barrier down and says, yeah, come. Come to the table. Tax collectors and sinners. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he hanging around with those people that don't believe what we believe? Well, Jesus is in the business of not identifying you by what you do. Your value is intrinsic. You're created in the image of God. Now, does he care about your sin? Absolutely. Does he want, is it like he doesn't care? No. But that's not what he's about. And so they ask his disciples that. I could just imagine the disciples going, I have no idea. <laughs> like, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like, I, I don't know. Actually, I, would, I told him not to, honestly. I don't even know why we're here. But, you know, Jesus hears this. He rescues his disciples. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. The people that Jesus invites onto the team are not the ones sitting on second base with it all put together. He invites the person who has no business being on the team. And if you are in the sound of my voice, whether you're online or you're in this room, Jesus would say, follow me. You're welcome to join. Give me your life. I will give you a life unlike anything you've ever seen. If you would just get up and follow and so here's the question. I, I kind of put this little recap on here. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? That was the question. Answer. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Just to give you a little theology lesson real quick. If your theology is that you don't go to the doctor because you, you know, everybody's going to be healed, uh, Jesus just... Shot that down in flames. Even Jesus says you need a doctor. Isn't that amazing? That's what he says. Sick need a doctor. And then he says to the Pharisees, basically those who didn't want Matthew on the team, that, that, that there's an us and a them, and they're not allowed, and you are allowed, and all this separation. He says this, but go and learn what this means. This, is so, this language is so offensive. It is so offensive to the Pharisees. To look a Pharisee in the eye, this learned spiritual, powerful man. 
and to go, go learn what this means, is very uh, aggressive language. I desire mercy. I desire mercy. If you are here and you think of your past, about things you've done, you think about maybe your past day (laughs) and things you've done, Jesus is in the business of extending mercy. He's in the business of extending forgiveness. But we have to get up and we have to follow. We have to say, I'm going to submit my life to you. I'm going to find my identity in you. Not in what I do, not in how I look, not in how much money I make, not in what people say about me, not in my position of power. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have, come to, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It was hard for these disciples to be with Matthew. But you know what's amazing to me? I don't know if you caught this while you were reading the verses up behind me. You know who's writing this story? <laughs> Matthew. Matthew is writing his own call story. And what's fascinating is when you read the other call stories of Matthew and Luke and in Mark, his name's not Matthew. It's Levi. Matthew calls himself Matthew in his call story when the other two call him Levi. Because Matthew means Yahweh's gift. Yahweh's gift. And at some point, again, I'm not reading too much into the Bible. I wonder at some point if Jesus just said, hey, disciples, we're going to cut the tax collector and sinner language out, okay? We're, gonna, we're not going to use that language anymore. We're not going to isolate Levi. As a matter of fact, he's Yahweh's gift, We're going to call him Matthew, and that's going to be his name. And I wonder if when Matthew was penning this through the the Holy Spirit, if he was writing this call story, and I I just, the only reason I think this is because I get emotional when I think about it, and he thinks about Jesus, and he gets to that point where it's like there's a tax collector named, and instead of writing Levi, he says Matthew. And I wonder if at that time he said, I remember when I was so frightened I was so scared to leave this security, to leave my community, to leave my identity. But I am so happy I got up and I followed Jesus. And Jesus moves on into uh, 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 this wonderful story about what happens when a life is transformed. What happens when you, you, you take a life and it's been going on a certain way and then all of a sudden there's a shift. And The disciples are there, and John's disciples are there, and they're upset, and they want to know why their disciples don't fast. See, they they say this to them. John's disciple came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? In other words, you are not playing the game the way it's supposed to be played. The way it's played is your rabbi, you tell them what to do, they do it, and then they find favor with God. Jesus answers, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast. And again, 
I wonder if Matthew, as he's writing this, goes, man, I miss having Jesus around. He goes on. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Let me ask you a question. Is God wanting to do a new thing in your life? Is God wanting to give you a new chapter, a new season? This is what he's in the business of doing. This is what he does. He forgives. He heals. He makes new. He takes off heavy loads. He takes away anxiety. He literally gives you a new identity. You are no longer your past. You're no longer the labels that people have been placing upon you your whole life. You, the Bible says, are a new creature in Christ. The old is past. The new has come. 